All right, I'm going to go ahead and uh, pray, and then we're going to dig into James. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for your word. I just thank you, God, for guiding us and directing us each and every day. Thank you for the wisdom that you offer to us that we can ask you for and that you give generously. Lord, I pray that you would bless our time this morning uh, in our study of James and then later with our study of Luke. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us through our singing and our praise. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts through all of these things. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so I want to read James chapter 1, 1 down to verse um, 11, just up to where we're at so we get a taste of where we've been and where we're going. Uh, James chapter 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And then uh, (coughs) our part for today, verses 9, 10, and 11. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. All right, so now let's attempt to answer some of these questions. Uh, I've put down, um, as I started my notes... uh, not initially, but then I came back and added this later. It says, uh, underneath that first question, look for God's character. What do we learn about God? Look for God's character, who he is, what he is like. Um, I put down in the passage for today, I found these first several questions difficult to answer. So all of my points have question marks next to them. So every time I, I put a point down, I had a question mark next to it because I was going, this one, for me, there isn't quite that direct, especially the part, this first question, what do we learn about God in this? So it wasn't quite as direct, like whereas the last one, I could easily go, God is generous, right? Uh, In this one, there's not something quite as direct or specific as that. And so I have a lot of question question marks next to mine. Um, But I would be interested to hear what you guys can come up with or what you guys can find in this and maybe some uh, secondary, and I'm saying all that to say, if you feel like the thing that comes to your mind is maybe a loose connection, you can still say it, because a lot of mine were loose connections, okay? So we can discuss and, and have a conversation about those things, okay? Um, so the first one there, look for God's character. Let me read again, just 9, 10, and 11, and uh, at you thinking in your mind, what aspects, what do we learn about God in this? Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. And the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. 
What do you think? Yeah. Well, this might be my <laughs> That's okay. That's good. I like that. Anybody else? Hmm? He's a warning God, right? He he likes to hey, warn. That's good. I like that. Yeah. I would say just a practical thing is his nature, creation. Like hmm. he's the sun does something. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like you guys are agreeing with me that it's a little bit more difficult to find a direct one, isn't it? Um, I feel like all the things I thought of were loose. Yeah. So you'll run into this problem anytime you study like Proverbs. Mm. Um, I think it, what it's helpful to do is to first kind of put in your own word, what is the same? Mm. What is this verse saying? Like, try to understand first what's the message there in these couple of sentences and maybe write that into your words make sure that you're actually putting down what it's saying and if you start with a proverb with what does this teach me about man the second set of questions mm-hmm. then all of a sudden I think it's going to help you see what might this also imply about God mm. so it's okay that we don't have to be locked in and going in that order Yeah. But and I think with certain types of literature, you're going to find, this doesn't say anything about God. Mm-hmm. But if I start with, well, what does it say about man, or this world I'm in, mm-hmm. now you might be able to start to see, oh, well, things in this life are temporary, mm-hmm. and God's eternal, mm-hmm. right? You'll, you'll see those things. So mm. I would encourage us to try to say, what, what is that, what is the point of these two verses? Yes. In fact, Paul's getting ahead of me, but that's, a, that's okay. No. J- uh, James 1, 9 through 11. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> yeah, Paul, you're, you're getting ahead of me. No, that's okay. No, you're, you're going exactly where I wanted to go. I, I, I thought to myself, I thought it's interesting because um, it, it does develop a natural, like one of the things that I was thinking about, and this is kind of the same thing you're talking about, is I, I suddenly find myself wondering about what some of these words mean, even, Right? What what is the 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 lowly brother bo- boasting? I thought boasting was bad, right? Uh, uh, boasting in his exalt. What's his exaltation? What 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 does that mean? And and what does the next part mean? The rich in his hum- the rich must sound like the rich then should boast in his humiliation, right? Or something along those lines. Like what what's actually being said here, right? Do you feel that natural tension arise when we're trying to figure out that first part? Um, and so, uh, yeah, Paul, that's, I mean, it's great, because that's where we're, I'm going next anyway, is that you, you sit here and you go, wait a minute, th- this is really challenging, and maybe it's challenging because I don't even know what this is saying, right? There's some loose things that we can pick up here, but what is this really, what is this really talking about? And uh, you're right, there's, very, there's a lot of proverb-like elements. In fact, we're going to find that throughout the book of James. There's a lot of that wisdom literature feel to it. Um, 
So uh, let's, let's go then. So we, we hit this first one just a little bit, and I think Paul's right. I think we should come back to it maybe um, and ask ourselves, before we go, what, what, what have we learned about people? What have we learned about relating to God? Let, let me just give you a little bit of uh, interesting commentary on this from uh, Douglas Moo. There were some things I got from um, Ben Witherington, but uh, um, Douglas Moo uh, especially, and, and he, he brought up the same thing, this idea of boasting. And I just want to throw out something out about that. Okay, uh, Douglas Moo puts it this way, and so I'm just going to quote him instead of trying to put it in my own words. It says, To take pride or boast as the English Standard Version says, means in this context not the arrogant boasting of the self-important, but the joyous pride possessed by the person who values what God values. Okay? So I think maybe this, that, that idea, that word pride, we ha- does have a negative connotation to it, biblically speaking, right? You know, it's you know, pride as a sin. But there's this, this idea here that's being presented that there's this kind of like even in our own English language, like pr- take pride in your work, right? There's, there's a version of what that word could mean that's not necessarily a sinful way of looking at it. And I think that's what this boasting is about. And, and again, this is how he defines it. The joyous pride possessed by the person who values what God values. So someone that that their, their values are aligning with God's values, there's a joyous, yeah, about that, right? Is that a, I wonder if that's a, a proper term, a joyous, yeah. Is that a, a joyous, yeah. That, that's, I think, what is being expressed here. Um, let me throw another one in here that I think will help us with this exaltation Low estate, high estate, depends on your, ver- your translation. Um, Douglas Mugan, so the word translated high position is used elsewhere in the New Testament to describe, and I thought this was super interesting. I don't think I caught this the first time when I preached through James several years ago. Uh, if I did, I don't remember it. Um, to describe the heavenly realm to which Christ ascended. And he gives some examples. Ephesians 4.8 this word is used, um, you know, uh, in the heavenlies. Sometimes I think the Ephesians describes the heavenly, the heavenly realm. Um, it's also the place from which the Holy Spirit descends. In Luke twenty-four, the this the same word in the original is used that way. In Luke twenty-four, talking about the place where the Holy Spirit healed the sin from the heavenly realm. Um, Philippians three. Uh, by faith believers now belong to that heavenly realm as its citizens. And so that word shows up in Philippians 3. So this, this high position, and so then he offers a suggestion. I love, that, I love when commentators do that. He literally says, we may suggest <laughs> then that high position includes believers' present enjoyment of their exalted spiritual status as well as their hope of participation in the glorious eternal kingdom inaugurated by Christ. Okay, layman's terms. Matt style? Layman's, so what I, how I talk, I talk, don't talk smart? Okay. I don't know. Paul set a precedent. We don't do PowerPoint in Sunday school anymore. I, <laughs> oh, interesting. You're the oh oh. 
Way to boast. So much truth to that. Um, Yes. So let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. So this exaltation, I think, and what Douglas Moo is suggesting, is that this is talking about there's there's a, to use Matt terms, joyous yow in the fact that my status, regardless of my physical status, is like the second part of our mantra. My future is incredibly bright. So the low brother, and um, one of the, uh, Ben Witherington talks about how there, there's, there was a famine that hit during this time, and it most likely hit before James wrote this. So the majority of people who were getting this letter had just experienced severe famine, and so almost everybody was poor. Okay? It wasn't just, a, there's some poor people, some rich people. The chances are most everybody that's reading this is poor. And, and what James is hitting is, is that if, if you are looking around at your stuff, and I do this, right? You, you look at your stuff, and sometimes you go, my stuff is junk. <laughs> I got junk stuff. Um, you know, uh, when, when, especially when something breaks down or when something doesn't work or when something, right? Or, you know, I, I appreciate Kathy's honesty about riding the bus. There's times where you go like, oh, Right, you look at your circumstances and you go, Ugh. and James is like, "Hey, don't let this determine your joyous yow. You can have a joyous yow because your future is incredibly bright, and in fact, there's there's an aspect of how you already have a heavenly citizenship, and that's what that Ephesians passage talks about is being." In the heavenlies, like we're, we're in some ways, we're there already. We're with him in the heavenlies, right? Does that help? Okay. Joyous, yeah. I coined a new term today. It's not boastful, arrogant pride. It's a joyous, yeah. Um, now, <clears throat> I do want to throw in there as well that there. And, and again, Ben Witherington talks a lot about this, that some of these things I think we're going to come back to. Um, I was originally like, okay, we're going to try to hit everything. But one of the things he, was, he brought up, he said, some of our understanding of what James is talking about here will be influenced by, and he referenced a couple things, James uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, with the rich and the poor. And again, James chapter 5, there's, there's some rich and poor elements that come back again in James. Now, if I was preaching through this, I would jump ahead and just, let's give you all this right now, and then it would just hit it again later. But I thought, um, at yesterday I was, as I was working through that and I was looking at what he was talking about, I was like, yeah, I think it would be interesting to go with what we've got right now, knowing that we may have to come back later and look at chapter 1 again, and, and see if there's even more clarification. Not necessarily that we may be off on something, but looking for that clarification of, is this where we're at? Okay? Now, with all of that said, I'd like to go back and maybe what else could we add to that first point? What do we learn about God? Thinking about 
this reality that James wants us to know something, right? What may or might we learn about God with some of this new information and new understanding of what these words are talking about and what James may be referring to and maybe even the state of the people hearing this in their context, what else might we learn about God through this? Oh, yeah. I, and I, I like that, and I, I think I think somebody said this already, but my mind is playing a trick on me. That, that God, there, there's a great leveling of God, right? There's a great leveling. Uh, I also love the fact that it, sometimes I feel... Now, th- this is a more shallow way of looking at it, but have you ever worked really hard and really hard and really hard and really hard and you never get anywhere? And then you see somebody that doesn't do anything and just li- life is just, you know, life's handing you lemons and life's handing them lemonade, <laughs> right? And life's handing them a lemonade stand where they get the, that's free lemonade. They, life handed them a lemonade fountain of perpetual lemonade, right? That's perfectly sweet and you're like, and you're sitting there, and it's frustrating because you're like, I'm trying to do the right thing, and all this bad stuff happens. And there's somebody, this, especially when it's somebody that you see doing the wrong thing, not just like, in my opinion, the wrong thing, but clearly the wrong thing. And it just seems like everything is playing out for them. So kind of a shallow version of that, but I think in a greater version, God is a great ultimately revealer of all things. That's what we've learned in Luke recently. Secret things that are hidden will become known. I mean, there's going to be a reckoning for those people that have lived the wrong way. And we ought not to be jealous of that. And I think, again, that's kind of what it's talking about, is that there's a trust in God that God is going to set things right. And so maybe everything seems like it's going sour here, but there's a trust that God is a God that's going to set things straight right anybody else what else do you, what else could we add about mm-hmm so even even going back to what we were talking about last week right that, that there's even playing into these things there's that important element of saying God, God even in that you know the 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 person that's wishy-washy in their faith that hey you ought not to suppose in fact uh, my mom and I were talking about that one yesterday that presumptuousness of uh, the person who that's that's James says don't don't you ought not to suppose anything that you if you're waffling in your faith um anything else we learn about God I think the other question is God's conduct and God's concerns let's think about those two as well Mm. But there is like a, a very definitive explanation on how he's going to humble the, the ones who mm. are a little bit mighty. Yeah. And to me, it, it kind of brings out a, a, a note of God does have the power even against the people who think that nobody's going to yeah. Hmm. 
he, he gives that whole extra verse just mm. about how he... How, how the rich man's going to fade away. Yeah. Um, I think of... Oh, I heard two... Yeah. Yeah. I got wrapped up probably about this last week, about four days in, in uh, Psalms. Mm. Mean, this isn't much of a statement, more than I guess I'm wondering what your take is on it. Mm-hmm. Calls, but in Psalms, it was like they were saying the whole theme was, you know, the good get good and the bad get bad. Mm. Then you get to, to Solomon and Proverbs and Ecclesiastics, and he's like, ah, I don't really see that so much, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like you were just talking about yeah. It's like good people get bad and bad people get good. Mm-hmm. And God's answer to that is pretty much crazy universe, you know. And, yeah. And I guess some invocation of, of hey, it will be set right. Mm-hmm. It might not be in this life. Yeah. So I don't know how that ties into this. Yeah. I know what you're thinking because we um, I, I don't want to, there's actually two things I want to bring up. Uh, one is, I think that as we go through here, we're going we're gonna to come up with that a lot. There's a, there's a lot of things in here, this, this wisdom literature, and you even mentioned something about that a moment ago, that this wisdom literature has that thought, or, you know, what's the saying you grew up hearing, but then realize, I mean, it, there's some truth to it, but it... <laughs> and it just didn't pan out. The older I got, if I became very disillusioned with God, it actually mm-hmm. caused me to close my Bible and walk away from the faith for a while. Because I was doing good things, mm-hmm. but I was getting what I defined as bad in return. And so it's like to, it's like God became this lawyer, and I was a lawyer, and we brought our briefcases to the table, and we were negotiating terms. And so I kind of feel like, that's where I found myself as Job, where he was like, I'm not like you, and I'm not another lawyer, and we don't negotiate terms. Mm-hmm. What you can know is whatever sorrow I bring into your life, whatever hardship I bring into your life, like the unsaved man cannot count on Romans 8, 28, and 29, but I can. Mm-hmm. I can count that he's going to turn that sorrow, that suffering, that grief into something good. And so, that's, yeah. yeah. So that, yeah. Well, and that's why we need community of faith. Mm-hmm. Because when you, and I know this because I have people like my mother-in-law here and Audria and Candy. I have these people that come along and when you're in the middle of it and you lose sight of that, the community of faith comes and reminds us. Because mm-hmm. our brains reset every night to this little legalist, I think. What Martin Luther said, we become more mm-hmm. legalists through the night that thinks that all of this is dependent on us. You have to get up and preach yourself the gospel every morning. And when you can't, you need to know you've built community that will come around and preach it to you. You know? Mm-hmm. Until you get through. But you're right, it doesn't ring true. Like all of a sudden, it just fades. <laughs> yeah, I just, I'm just saying what you're saying. I think if everybody in here was honest, I think yeah. it's, you have a tendency to feel that way. Like I, Absolutely. If, God's yeah. not, if I'm being 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. track no this is really good no it's okay it, it I think that as well and to mention the other thing one of the things that I I'm trying to decide when to do this I feel like maybe we should wait till closer to the end but James is full of all these Jesus teachings not just the proverb proverbial the psalm teaching but all these Jesus teachings. like you can't read James without thinking about the Sermon on the Mount Right? You, just, you just can't do it. There's so much in there that just harkens back to the way Jesus taught and the things that he taught about. It, it just reminds me. It's, it's almost like a person said, I want to make sure everybody know the kinds of things Jesus taught when he was here, and he wrote a letter. That's what James feels like when it comes down to it. Um, so there's a lot of those things. and that. So I notice you, you, you notice that, like the poor, blessed are the poor in spirit. Like those kinds of things ring through this. It just... It's, it's saturated with Jesus all throughout. Um, and so at some point, I would love to, uh, we'll set a time when we get closer to the end. I'm thinking chapter 4 or chapter 5. Uh, I'm going give, to start giving you some homework of going through James and finding what, you know, things that Jesus taught and write, maybe even writing of your own accord, those connections, which would be a great reason to have one of those little James with the page of blank, right? right? <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I, I think that'd be a great opportunity to really put that and just really of your own accord, not just depending on those uh, cross-references that are already there for you, but creating some of your own cross-references uh, of nailing those things down. Um, yeah. Well, kind of back to what you asked originally. Yes. I, I forgot what it was, but... What do we find out about God? Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. I would, I would classify it more as something that you, you see about God that I just really love. Mm. And when he talks about that, when he's describing this double-minded man, <laughs> and, and he's, he's giving us the picture of, it's like the waves of the sea, driven and tossed and, and, and you know, unstable in all his ways. And I love how God inspired scripture to tell us about who we are. Mm-hmm. And why we are the way we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know how I feel about, I'm very passionate about taking psychology and counseling and psychiatry back from the world and bringing it into the church because we gave it to them. Mm-hmm. And we need to bring it back. And it's scripture like this. I've met so many people, almost every person that comes for counseling, and every time I've had to go for counseling, I would have said, they're unstable in all their ways, in many ways. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't, we're not left with, why? Yeah. As believers, why do we find ourselves unstable in all of our ways? Well, it's because we're not holding on. We're not holding on to that joyous, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We've, lost, we've, lost, we've lost sight of faith and what that means. And so I, just, I love these passages like this where, where God begins to give us insight 
into who we are and why we are the way we are. Yeah, which we're going to get into that as we get down to the next question. But uh, I know, sorry. No, that's okay. Um, the one that I wanted to throw in there, I don't, I'd forgotten until you started talking. Um, for me, I found a lot of times when answering the question, God's concerns, and this might be a much smaller-minded way of looking at it, but when I'm in the middle of things, um, I've thought, you know, there's been times where I was like, I was really, really concerned about something here, right? Like today type things. And one of the other things I walk away from that is God's concerns many times, he's not as concerned. He is concerned, but in my mind, I think a good way to, for me to think about it is he's not as concerned about this as he is about that. Like, there's bigger concerns at stake. It's not that he's not concerned about what I'm going through, but his, because his concerns are greater, that means that maybe this thing, uh, for example, an example I use all the time, you got a little one, and uh, you take him to the doctor, Right? Well, I'm going to go with a non-controversial one. Um, he, your son has hit his toe with a hatchet. That's not important how that happened or what person gave him the hatchet or where his mom was at when all this was going on, that she wasn't home. That's None of those things are important. But when he comes over to you with his bloody toe that he hatcheted, um, uh, now, my concerns for him were to take care of that situation. So when I took him to the doctor, I knew that that doctor was going to do something that would cause him pain because they had to stitch that gaping wound up. And I don't know if you've ever had a gaping wound need to be stitched, but when they... When they put that numbing stuff in, the numbing stuff has the opposite effect of numbing when it first hits you, doesn't it? It's like this is the, if you could think of what is the opposite of numbing, that's what happens when they squirt that stuff on there. And I like how they squirt, they just squirt some in it before they start poking you with it. And it's like, none of that, that didn't help. Why'd you do that? <laughs> right? And it's like, oh my word, that hurts, it hurt, burns so bad. So in, in child mind, it would be easy for the child to go, why are you letting me experience this pain? But with just a little bit of maturity, you know that. Like, it, like when I've had to go myself, I didn't react that way with the doctor. I may have cried a little bit, but I didn't, I wasn't like, what'd you do that for? You know, I mean, I, was, I didn't, because I knew, okay, they have to do this because I know that when they then go to start stitching, the stitching will hurt less because this will take its effect and have an impact on my life of my arm. Um, you know, but in a child's mind, sometimes that's not the case, is it? This thing that you're, so you as my father, where's your care that you're letting me go through this thing? And the problem is not that I'm wrong. The problem is that I have concerns that are bigger than this moment. I know that in this moment, this pain might be required to get you to this moment, Right? And so I, I think that that's one of the things that I, I think of when I think about God's goodness in the middle of these things. And I, that's one of the things I walk away from this when I think about what are God's concerns. 
I think he, he's, he's less concerned that you have a working car, less concerned that you have, you know, more than two TVs, or less <laughs> concerned that, you know, I mean, it, you know, the things that we get concerned about, he's less concerned about those things than other things, yeah. Mm. It's the trial. It's the repetition of an experience that is per- feels hurtful or painful that teaches you that not all pain is injury. Yeah. Not all that God does, even though it hurts, <clears throat> is bad for you. Mm-hmm. And it, you don't learn that when you're three. You don't quite figure that out when you're six. Sometimes 10 and 15, mm-hmm. it takes that repetition. That Some of us 20, 30. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, that's a that's a good example of a practical. Th- we see this in real life, but we don't always make that same connection. Mm-hmm. But when you catch what she said, that mm. I really love. Yeah. And that's that you can mature. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You there's you can you can mature. A part of that is the beginning that says to ask for wisdom, and God gives it liberally. Well, ask for wisdom. Ask for wisdom. But you can't. You don't have to stay in that perpetual childlike state every time He kicks the bucket. You know, you Mm -hmm. can mature. And I love meeting Christians who have had that repetition and they've leaned into it, they've absorbed it for its good. And you see them and it's remarkable because they do get their butt kicked, sometimes in amazingly difficult ways. And what spills out Mm -hmm. is faith. Yeah. You know? And to piggyback on that same thing, I feel like um, you Lord of the Rings people will write Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's dragging him, kick, you know, dragging yeah. him and throws him off the hill. Yeah. Is often the way I feel like God is teaching me. And I feel like I'm that unstable man, mm-hmm. you know, that's being bounced around. But the, the goodness of his grace is when you, in a sense, you embrace that trial and you, you go along for the ride wherever God is leading you. That is the, you know, that learning to, instead of fighting the trial, Mm-hmm. To lean into what what are you trying to teach me, God? Not why are you doing this? What are you wanting me to? How are you wanting me to go on Christ? All right. Now I'm going to throw in because we're going to run out of time. I'm going to throw a couple of thoughts in there to help us prepare for next week. Um, already, I'm thinking next week because notice that there was a natural inclination towards thinking about trials when we're talking about this. Don't miss the fact that was James talking about trials earlier in this passage. Look at verse 12. What's he come back to? Trials. So one of the things we can think about is that we're not off in beginning to make those connections because James clearly isn't done with that topic yet, right? There's clearly connection with what these people are going through in these lowly states, highest states, whatever it is, that is connected to trial. And maybe even not just, I had a trial today, but a lifelong trial. Right? 
like trials that just no don't end. They're just the ongoing. Um, I would also like to throw in there as we look at these things because we're going to need to get into this next week where he, he shifts gears in, in verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, that that word is the same root word, and we were just talking about this, and I, I conferred, I know this Greek scholar that I conferred with, um, and uh, just to make sure I wasn't off in my thinking. While but uh, while he's Yeah, while he's home from <laughs> Damascus and you know, his travels in Syria. Um, we, uh, uh, I, I was like, this is what I'm, I'm looking at. This is what I'm seeing. And it, it's such a fascinating, to me, this is one of the most fascinating things about this word is that this word, it's the same word, trial, test, temptation. It's the same basic word. We split them up because our English words are very different, aren't they? Test, trial, temptation. Okay? But in the, in the Greek, they're not as far separated as that. And what you start to find is that a lot of it has to do, I think, and may I suggest, as a commentator would say, with the, the perception of which way you're looking at it. And that's what he's going to get to here. These things that happen, and this is this, and, okay, and again, this is so important. I want to throw in another piece, bigger piece of the puzzle, because it's one thing to talk about your car broke down, <laughs> right? It's one thing to talk about I was sick this week. It's another thing to talk about this person died or this thing happened in my childhood. And it's a lot more difficult when you start talking and dealing with those things to simply lay it out as, well, that was a trial or test because then God starts to feel very terrible, complicit, in a, I mean, because you can say allow, he allowed those things to happen all you want, but at the end of the day, it, we, people have a hard time understanding how is this thing that God allowed and good, okay? Especially when it's something done at, on somebody else that was a very evil thing that happened. I think, I think there's a clue, a helpful clue in this very word. I'll give you my favorite example I've given a thousand times. Joseph's brothers purposed, meant evil to Joseph. Okay? That's what they meant. That's what they tried to do. That was their plan. Satan, in Job, my other favorite example, meant, purposed, had to ask permission, true, but his whole intent was destruction of Job. Everything about it was destruction. In both of those scenarios, God meant, purposed, in those evil things, good. Now, that falls outside of the scope of my ability, but don't let your inability to do something mean that God can't do it. I can't, and I, have, I, don't, I can't anywhere come anywhere close, nor do any of you come anywhere close to having the ability 
to purpose and intend good out of evil things. We can't do that. God, in his sovereignty, his sovereign rule over all of creation, every single thing that happens, you can say, if somebody did something simple, you can say, did Satan do it? Yes. Did God do it? No. God didn't do it. Satan did it. Satan did it. This, did, did God do this thing to you? No. This person did it. But you can say at the same time that God did it. Job does that very thing. After all those things that happened, all those people came in, killed all those people, killed all, killed all of his children, right? Job says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, right? And then just in case you think, well, maybe he's confused because he didn't know the backstory. He didn't know that Satan was doing all those things. The author, the, common, the, the narrator of Job says, in all these things, Job did not sin by accusing God falsely. So you can say, who did it? Satan. Who did it? The Philistines or whoever it was that came in and attacked all those people, right? Who did it? The wind that blew down the house that killed his kids. Who, who did Satan. Who did it? God did. I can't do that. You can't do that. Right? This is important because you'll find some people going, well, if God allowed it, then that means he... But no, no, no. It's right and good to say this evil thing was done by this evil person for this evil intent. God's ordaining of those things doesn't mean he writes those things. He's not the author of sin. But somehow in his ordaining of it, it all falls in with his plan. And I don't think it's ever a... Some people, some people portray it this way. It, it, this I can almost get because this might be how I am. I might you know, be in, in a, my classroom and my kid's working on something, doing something... And I could be constant fix it. Oh, they're going wrong. I better, oh, okay, okay. Well, that, that's okay. I know you glued the wrong thing together, but let's, you know, let's, here we can fix. Oh, 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 that's, that wasn't right. Oh, let, and some people view God as Mr. Fix-It. The Bible doesn't talk about him that way. So I go back to example number one. What did Joseph say? You may have meant it, purposed it is the word that's used, purposed it for evil, but God purposed it, meant it, that's, that's planned talk for good. I don't, I don't know how he does it, but I am so much better able to cope with life knowing that it's not that God is ever just going, whoa, that is not what I wanted to happen. I better fix it. I got to fix it. I can fix anything. That's Matt. Matt Matt's Mr. Fix-It. I can fix anything. Give me some duct tape. Right? Some spackle. <laughs> WD-40. We'll, we'll find a way, right? We'll find a way to make it work. That's not what God is doing. And I think that we're going to get glimpses of that in this study of James as we get down to this next one. Like, what's the intent behind these things? That you can have one event that has an intent for evil and an intent for good. God's intent is always good. Right? All right, so I'm <clears throat> running out of time. So I'm going to, I think, wrap it up, even though there was a bunch more we could have gotten into in this. But I really want to set the stage again, I think, for next week as we really think, let's really think about this. 
not just in terms of the easy trial of like the thing that happened. I know it's not really easy, but the, the simple to compute trials. I think there's some that are simple to compute, but the, what about the ones that are not as easy to compute? Childhood trauma, right? Uh, crimes at the hands of evil people. How do, we, how do we cope with those things? That's a, that's a challenging one. And I don't ever want to be frivolous about it. It's e- too easy to do that too, right? No, I think there's nothing wrong with acknowledging if somebody's experienced something like that to go, you're absolutely right. That, was, that person meant evil and meant terrible on you. But I don't want to ever portray that God was absent and he's just here to pick up the pieces. That somehow in his sovereign goodness, in this broken world, he takes those sorts of things and he goes, I've got a really good purpose for that. In your life and for your eternity. Right? I wasn't absent. As hard as it is, I wasn't absent. All right, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I ask now that you would be with us through this week. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to prepare already right now, begin preparing for next week as we look at this next piece in James and how these trials, and what, are, what does it look like to be steadfast and remain steadfast and the, being blessed for those that do remain steadfast and what does it mean, what, what is your hand in this? Lord, help us to, to understand, get glimpses of your greatness in James. I pray that you'd begin preparing us for that. In Christ's name, amen.